Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this channel, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and that can cause a serious lack of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, I hate dating episodes, but I'm going to do it this time. Recently, we have run the Bolt Action event Operation Bear in Melbourne, Australia. Now, traditionally, this has been Melbourne's largest Bolt Action event. And in the past, we got up to, I believe, 32 players at one point. This year, Operation Bear took a giant step forward and went to a two-day event. Now, I do co-TO this event with our good friend Lee, and we also do the Easter event. Now, Easter had was also a two-day event this year, and we were trying to bring back the heyday of the two-day big events in Melbourne. And in this case, that may not have worked out for Bear's numbers. That said, the amount of preparation that we put into setting Operation Bear up this year, just the format, we had a lot of people messaging the page, commenting on pictures on Facebook, wanting us to talk about Operation Bear. So I thought it was only appropriate that I invite my co-TO on and a good friend and someone who did very well at the event himself, our good friend Pedro back. And since it's Thanksgiving, going back to dating the episode, I couldn't be more thankful to have our good friends, the one and only Lee Avery and Pedro on Cast Eyes. Gentlemen, welcome back. How you doing, brother? Um, yeah, I'm well. <laughs> um, wasn't sure which one of us um, you're introducing. Um, yeah, not too bad. Settling back into um, normal weekday routine. I must say uh, a two-day event did take it out of me a bit. I was okay mm -hmm. on the Monday, but I certainly felt it on the Tuesday. It's been a, a little bit out of practice, I think. I hear that. I hear that. Lockdowns in Melbourne for two years definitely did not help my endurance as a gamer at all. I am a gaming noob again. Lee, you were TOing with me as well. I'm exhausted after Bear. How are you holding up as the other TO? I'm fine now after a week of, as Pedro said, getting back into the routine of the week. Nothing like going back to work to rest up from your weekend. Uh, it was, yeah, it, it was. it's tiring, right, running an event. I mean, we we spent a lot of time beforehand on prep and getting ready and answering all the questions, that sort of thing. And then, you know, this year, uh, running at House of War, we had to set up Friday night um, just so we could get started early on, on Saturday. Um, so we spent a few hours trundling out there and, and setting all the terrain up the night before. And then obviously after the event, we've got to pack all the terrain down and get back home and unload and all that. So it does make for longer days. I mean, not as long as Pedro driving from the country or for Michael flying back to Brisbane and things like that. Mm -hmm. Certainly have some players traveling a fair bit of distance to play. But, um, you know, from a TO point of view, it's not just, oh, yep, here's your award, see you later. There's uh, still a bit of kick on work. But, yeah, no, I'm feeling good. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I, I got to say, I because... The term four has been fairly brutal. I pre-recorded a ton of episodes in the last term break, which was literally two months ago, including an episode 
about Italians with Albert and Pedro. Hi, Pedro. That still needs to see the light of day, which will shortly. But embarrassingly, this episode will go out before that one in which Albert is talking about his lists for Jump to Action, which was the precursor to Bear a couple of months back. Please don't judge me, ladies and gentlemen. It's It's been a long term. Pedro, you came to Jump to Action, and Jump to Action is an event that we actually haven't talked about on this show, which is weird because I was the TO. Jump to Action was the buildup for Bear. It had 20 players. It was sold out, and it remained sold out, and we had a running waiting list. And because of COVID dropped out, dropouts and people just having things come up, the, the waiting list did come and go over time. And at the end, we ended up with an even 20 players, which was fantastic. Pedro, you played in that event. It was a 911-point buildup event. Uh, and then that was supposed to get newer players interested in Operation Bear. And of the 20 players we had, eight of them were brand new. Most of those had never played, well, eight had never played in a bolt action event. And I think three had never played in an event full stop. And we saw most of those players come back for Bear as one of the few experienced players in that field and at Bear. What was your feel going from jump to action? to operation bear this year um personally i think it it sort of fell followed pretty well um it did feel like a warm-up like for me i was taking the same list with um just a bump in points um and it's probably the first time i've done that uh with two events you know within a, a short period of time of each other for for quite some years um Probably, you know, back in the days when we were playing a lot of 40K, um, seemingly, you know, an event a month just about, um, mm-hmm. you know, that that was very much a done thing that you would tune and progressively build up a list over the course of the year. Um, I had not really done that with Bolt Action. Um, I have about three or four armies, uh, which I have tended to take out as uh, the mood takes me. Um, so, yeah, so this was different. Um but it, it did work rather well. I did feel probably um, that I was more in tune with this army and and probably playing, um, you know, a smarter game. But that was probably not just jump to action and the practice of that. That was also maybe, um, you know, listening to some clever people on um, Cast Dice talk about Soviets and um, and you know thinking a bit more about my game and and, and changing my play style a bit. Um, which is probably something that I really hadn't been in the headspace to do. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I certainly, um, you know, really enjoyed seeing uh, those newcomers uh, not only have a good time at Jump to Action, but come back for Bear. You know, that was really, really great to see that. Um, and, um, you know, they all had made progress um, and were really enjoying themselves. You know, that's probably the most um, important thing. I also want to give a shout out to our good friend, John Mack, who played at Operation Bear, was a new player to a bolt action event and had such a good time that he actually started a Melbourne bolt action, slow grow league that jumped from jump to action, pardon the pun, to Operation Bear and sort of bridged the gap um, of which I've been playing a part of. And there are a bunch of players playing in that just loving bolt action. Uh, the, the club that they largely play a lot of the league games at is Axes and Ales. 
um, which was set up by Viv from Knights of Dice. I've been over there a few times. Lee came. It's an amazing club. So many great games are being played, but so much great bolt action is being played there. And I didn't want to make the jump to having the conversation about Operation Bear without mentioning the great work that John set up in getting people organized to play regular bolt action games. I mean, there were regular bolt action games going on there anyway. Um, our good friend Rob was over there playing some games, Rob Deacon and Andrew, uh, who, you know, is a, a big person in the bolt action community in Australia. He ran CanCon last year. He is also part of that group. So there's, there's a lot of names in there, but there's a lot of people coming in and who are making a name for themselves and having a good time playing such a well put together club. Um, and then to have such a strong bolt action subculture evolve out of that has just been really exciting to see Lee. I'm not the only one who's been over there. What are your thoughts about the Axis Nails Bolt Action League? Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, it's a couple of people are keen on the game and have roped in a bunch of others. So, I mean, I popped out to that club a couple of times. Uh, it's a good venue. It's one of the local bowls clubs up in Thornbury, and it's you know got a bar so people can grab beers while they're playing the games, which is great. Uh, the only thing it's missing is a you know barbecue dinner, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, you know, certainly ran into a few people up there that I've known for decades, really, um, through a variety of gaming systems and just being around the community. So it, it's a good little club and it's certainly grown, exploded, really, what mm -hmm. it started as. But um, from a bolt action scene, I mean, there was four games going, I think, last time I was there. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, there's eight players and then I was just sort of wandering around. There's a couple other people that just popped in as well. So... I think it's a good little growth hub and certainly a few of the guys turned up for the our event which was great yeah it was awesome well let's get to our event shall we operation bear now lee do you want to talk about why the venue why two days and our ideas behind it because i could probably wax lyrical forever but please have at it you have been part of this situation as much as i have yeah, we decided on a two-day event. I mean, we've run a lot of one-day events um, over the years. We did two days for Conquest, which is run at Easter, long weekend earlier in the year, uh, with a slightly different bent on it. But it's, I suppose we've not had really a, a lot of two-day events in Melbourne. It's been quite a number of years since we have had a sort of a structured thing. So we thought, let's do it again. Um, the reason we chose the venue, uh, being House of War, uh, I know Brad's got there outside of Melbourne. It's not outside of, it's just out on the uh, outer suburbs. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we live very central to the city. so Yes, we do. But in saying that, you know what? It's it's half hour drive. It took us on the weekend to get out there. So it's not that bad. Um, you know, half an hour in the other direction gets us out to like the Western Suburbs War Games Club. Uh, you know, you don't go very far south in half an hour though. It's too much traffic. Uh, but look, as a venue, I've, I've certainly spoken about it before. You know, it's it's a large, large store. It's big. Um, the range of stock and the range of hobby stuff is just huge. Um, it's it's organised chaos in a way. Um, but they've got a, an upstairs mezzanine level uh, for all the tabletops uh, for playing games and stuff. And we fit in 10 tables, I think. We, no, nine tables we set up, uh, plus a table for us, for admin TOE stuff. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, you know, space for that. And then behind us, we had 
think Friday night while we were setting up, there was a, a lot of 40K games going on. They've got a big table up there for painting and hobby with a whole bunch of lights on it so people can just sit down and paint and hang out. And there was a few guys doing that. Uh, and then on the Saturday, we had a big apocalypse game, 40K apocalypse game going on. Mm-hmm. On a, I don't know, what was it? A six foot by eight, I think they were running it. Two tables jammed together. Uh, so, you know, there was guys there playing that all day. Um, and then there was other people coming in and playing other games. There was some Affinity going on and a few other 40K games and Horus Heresy. Uh, so, you know, it's it's got a reasonable play space for us. It, the advantage running events is they've got the space. They've got the tabletops there. So we can bring in our terrain and our, you know, we use a lot of table mats neoprene mats and also the cloth mats so we can just put them over it doesn't matter what's underneath put the terrain out so it looks nice uh and it's you know certainly playable for for a bolt action point of view and really what's happened in the last few years is we've, we've lost a few of those sort of venues which we used to have which had those facilities there for us um where we could just turn up and play games and organize larger events Outside of that, you know, we have to run things at conventions where somebody, you know, a group of people is organizing a larger event. They are hiring a big space. Um, those, a lot of those groups have built up um, tabletops over the years and, and, you know, trestles and tables and stuff like that. So they can roll into these venues. You know, they've got pretty much drive-in almost kind of setups. You can set everything up. Again, for those, we have to bring in the terrain as well. Uh, which, you know, is a bit of labor, uh, you know, but it's a labor of love, certainly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it's it's time consuming and it's it for us to run something, it's got to be worth it to attract players and it's got to be worth it from a size point of view. So we're sort of, I suppose, fiddling around with events and venues and that sort of thing. I think it'll take us a little while to settle in, but it is, it is convenient mm-hmm. as a venue. There's a supermarket across the road and a McDonald's and a few other shops shops nearby and it's just off a freeway so for people to drive in it's it's not too bad unless they're coming from you know hour plus away now with jump to action as i said we sold out with 20 players and it was at a venue called games portal which is actually weirdly down the road from house of war now we chose that venue because it was available and we'd heard great things our friend mike crossman runs a lot of big melbourne kings of war events and he'd highly recommended that venue. And he wasn't wrong. It was fantastic. But that was a venue that was a lot smaller. And they didn't have as many tabletops. So for Jump to Action, uh, Pedro, thanks, Pedro, and Albert um, helped me set up the tables for that event. And we had to set up that morning. It was very stressful to get everything thrown down. It was 10 tables. Thankfully, our friend Ben Llewellyn, um, set up three of those tables. He brought three of his own. So I only had to bring and set up seven. Still, when you're trying to get everything set up, and then if you're a solo TO, getting everything, getting registered and getting everything started, if you're trying to do that within 45 minutes or a half an hour of the venue opening, that can be really stressful. So for Operation Bear, we chose House of War because it had that large mezzanine that Lee mentioned. And it was a, it's a much bigger venue. And we, as Lee said, were able to get access to the venue on the Friday night. And we had initially anticipated about 30 players or we had planned for. So I had put together 10-ish tables of my own. Lee has a couple of tables. Pedro has a couple of tables. Um, our friend Ben has, a co- has three more tables to add. 
Our friend John, who I mentioned earlier, has a table. So had we had 30 players, we would have had more than enough terrain for this. But while we did have a strong initial outlay of players, a lot of people had to drop because of life reasons. And weirdly, we had, well, not weirdly, um, we are still in a COVID world. We had a lot of COVID sort of pop up last minute, which is unfortunate because a couple of people had painted armies specifically for Operation Bear taking months and they couldn't go. Uh, like our good friend Dave Atkins. So we ended up on the day having 14 players, which was great because it was an even number of players and it was very manageable. And as Lee said, we set up nine tables, even though we had, we only needed seven. So it made pairings really easy because it meant that there was never an issue about, oh, this person's played on you know, these five tables, but their opponents played on five different tables and now they can't actually play a game and not play on a new table. By having those extra tables, it was really helpful for that. And as Lee will probably mention later, and if he doesn't, I'm going to actually say it now, it meant that at the end of the event in the last round, we could start packing up terrain before the end of the event. And so we just had people not play on the densest tables. And so the tables that took the longest to pack, we were able to pack up first, which made a huge difference later on. Also, you'll notice it's a five-game event, which means Sunday afternoon, we finish at a reasonable time. We're able to pack everything up, get it loaded in the van, drive it home, unpack it, and still be home for dinner. I know that that's controversial. Some people love a six-game event. Pedro, as a player, what were your thoughts? I know two days can be grueling, especially with bolt action. Did you miss that sixth game or were you happy to go home earlier? Um, I, I think I, I was happy to go home earlier. Um, I'm, I am quite fond of six games. Um, you know, if you're talking something like um, at Conquest, uh, which normally runs over Easter, and you, you're likely to have, you know, Saturday, Sunday to play, and then Monday is a public holiday. It's not such a big deal, um, especially personally for me. I, I live about three and a half hours from Melbourne. Um, yeah. So, you know, that ability to go, okay, it's only five games. Uh, it's a higher points mix, so the games will be a bit longer. But, you know, I could still hang around for the presentation um, and, you know, help with a little bit of pack up and be on the road and be home by 8.30 and then have to work the next day. You know, that, that made a big difference versus you know, being home at 11 or something and being absolutely shattered um, for yeah. probably longer than I was. Yeah, it took me about a week to unpack and repack all the terrain for the next event, but that was because I was limping through the house uh, while I was doing it because I was so damn tired. Now, I, I should mention, I don't believe I have, that Jump to Action, as I said, was 911 points, but that was the buildup for Operation Bear, which was 1,054 points. Lee, do you want to talk about why we went with this weird point value again? Because we just like doing weird point values. <clears throat> That's the crux of it. Look, at, at the end of the day, it's about getting people to mix up their lists a bit, right, and change them up. We don't want people just creating a one single thousand point list and running it at every event for the next three years, um, which I started when I started Bolt Action. We were playing a lot of thousand points and I built a... British paratrooper list and I ran it and ran it and ran it and ran it and tuned it and ran it and ran it and ran it. And, ran it. and um, I got to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm going to change it up every, every time I go to an event. I just wanted to do it. Um, so I think it just forces people to fiddle around. 
And as we said, I think in the previous um, podcast round jump, you know, by going from 911 to 1054, it was, you know, another unit for people or a vehicle or an armored car or something, you know, gave them an option to paint up something new, you know, potentially tweak or bring an entirely different list. I'm sure there were some people that attended both events that bought different things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just depends what people feel. I know a lot of... A lot of bolt action players have more than one army <laughs> lying around. Um, you know, it's not the most expensive of uh, wargaming hobbies. It's still a hobby; it costs you money, but you know, it's it's relatively cheap compared to some of the other options out there. So, I think I'm on painting army number three at the moment. I've got a fourth one that's literally uh, sitting in packets waiting. Which, funnily enough, I bought before I bought army number three, but I ended up doing the third one first. But you know, it's by the by we all do that we do we definitely do well one of the big questions we had was what were the missions that we were playing when we initially put out the player pack we advertised that we would be running two brand new missions that will be eventually part of the forthcoming bolt action alliance mission pack for 2022 now that is being pushed to 2023 only because the two missions that we were going to run at Bear were not run at Bear, and I'll explain why in a second. And because of that, and because our graphic layout guy is very busy right now, we decided that we would push the pack back into the beginning of next year. Now, we decided not to run the two new missions uh, for a couple reasons, but the first one was... We got feedback after Jump to Action that some of the newer players were having trouble keeping track of new missions because some of these were brand new to them. So we tried to continue with the fidelity of the ideology of missions that we had at Jump to Action with a a mission that we ran at Easter earlier in the year. So we had consistency and at the same time, you know there was some there was some new stuff in there and there was some things that people were familiar with so we ran supply drop which we ran at easter which has been mentioned in a few places and is being run at cancon this year as one of the missions and we ran the mission that jump to action was actually named after the event which is unironically called jump to action both of which will be in the mission pack coming up if you would like copies of these missions and you would like to play test them and give us feedback, please contact the Cast Eyes Facebook page. I will send them to you. You can play them. I know that um, our good buddy Travis over at Tabletop CP asked for Supply Drop and played it uh, on a video just a week ago. So if you would like it, please let us know. Other than those two missions, we went with rulebook missions, which is something we don't do a ton of in Melbourne, but we ran meeting engagement key positions, and sectors. We debated that a little bit behind closed doors, and uh, we talked it over with our good friend Al over in Scotland, and we all agreed that we thought that those were probably good missions to, to run. Some of the rulebook missions can be skewy at times, but those ones seem to be ones that were relatively fair, and we often don't run missions with preliminary bombardment, And so this gave people an opportunity with national rules to take advantage of that, to take advantage of that. Lee, do you want to add anything about the missions before I jump to Pedro to ask what his experiences were with those? Uh, I just want to say you talk about 
preliminary Bob Barman and national rules. So I assume you're referring to the British get to roll two dice. Mm-hmm. We had one British player. That is true. They they were bene- they did benefit from that. <laughs> I'm, I'm a you're habitual right. rolling a one on that test anyway. So yeah, you are. <laughs> it's pretty bad. I walked by the table and saw an awful lot of pins on your side of the table. That's all I know. It's a pin fest. <sighs> on that note, Pedro, uh, what were your thoughts about the missions? Obviously, you'd seen having played in Jump to Action and having played at Easter, you've seen all of these missions before. Um, were some of the rulebook missions new for you? Was anything um, jump out at you, or did you think that these were a reasonable spread of missions that gave people uh, different opportunities to play for different stakes over the course of the weekend? Yeah, I actually thought it was a really good mix. Um, I've probably been guilty um, in in my earlier days of playing Bolt Action of not paying enough attention to the missions. Um, and I think I've uh, learned that the hard way a few times, uh, and I'm, I'm much, uh, much better at that uh, these days. Um, but uh, yeah, look, they were a good, a really good mix. Um, I, I think I enjoyed all of them. Um, different challenges for different players on different tables. I thought that um, the mix of tables was really, really good terrain-wise in terms of you know, being tactically challenging um, and and not being too skewed one way or the other. Um, so no, I you know I was pretty happy. Um, Probably the one observation I'll make, um, because I tend to like things to be a little bit random, um, I think Supply Drop has you place three objectives and they end up equidistant. Um, Mm -hmm. I I might have liked that to be um, maybe random on both sides, um, but I I know, I understand the the intent behind um, trying to make it equidistant. Uh, So Mm -hmm. that's just my personal quirk. I I like um, stuff to be a bit more random, I suppose. Yeah, it, the goal was to make things a little bit uh, symmetrical so that no yeah. one felt disadvantaged. But I could definitely see wanting to play that. And if people want to house roll that and roll the the objective separately for that mission, I don't have, I don't think that would be a bad thing. In fact, that might be a fun variation of the mission that we could put in the player pack later on. Now, you guys mentioned that we went in Friday night and set up the nine tables. We did set those up. And we had a lot of comments come into the page. Some people thought the terrain was a little too thick, and some people thought the terrain was a little too thin. But the goal is to set up enough tables that had a a variety of density of terrain and that looked different enough so that people's armies could possibly fit those tables and everyone's play style as far as, you know, some armies naturally castle up better. Some are more aggressive and more mobile. We tried to give people tables that over the course of the weekend that would disadvantage them and advantage them in equal measure so that they always had those tactical hoops to jump through while simultaneously meeting the missions. Um, And I do have to thank both of you for both helping me set up the terrain Friday night and for being patient with me when I micro moved every single piece of terrain after it had been set up. Thank you. Yeah. Just, just, just another millimeter to the left there, guys. Um, I, I wanted the, the terrain to be perfect, but we had a couple of desert tables, a couple of winter tables, a couple of urban tables. We had an extremely claustrophobic city fight table that was half ruins and half buildings. 
We had a jungle table. We just had a slew of things that people could maneuver around and play on. Um, Lee, anything else you want to add to the talk of tables? No, I think um, you've covered it all. I mean, the, the main goal is to have a variety of cover, right? It gives you a variety of, you know, soft cover, hard cover, dense terrain. So it means actually maneuvering around to A, draw line of sight around dense terrain, and B, if you're shooting at somebody and there's intervening linear obstacles, well, they're going to get cover from it. So although it may look open, there's actually, from a model's point of view, a lot of obstructions in the way and a lot of cover that will benefit people. So you're not, it's not a turkey shoot, Thanksgiving joke, maneuver around a bit. And that's, that's what we aimed for. Probably the hardest ones are the, the city fight style tables because they're all hard cover. It's very hard to sort of put in some soft cover on them. Uh, And so we use a variety of, you know, hedges and walls and fences to give that mix of light and heavy. And then some things being low, other things being high. So, you know, high walls, as you can see here in this picture, a troop model behind those won't be visible on the other side. So it's an obstruction that people can't see. That sort of helps. But vehicles are visible because they're a bit bigger. Lee, let's talk about the mix of armies for this. I know we had a much wider spread when we had more players signed up. However, in the end, we ended up with, as I said, 14 players plus two Gumbies. So we technically had 16 armies in the mix. What were the numbers, keeping in mind that your Americans and my British probably are not included in that total? No, not including ours, because we only played one game each to Gumby. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had four Germans, three Russian, two US, and then we had individually one Italy, one Hungarian, one Australian, and one British. So a pretty reasonable mix. Uh, armies that didn't make it, uh, there was a Greek army that was going to come along, mm-hmm. and I think there was a couple more Germans. And there might have been, actually, might have been another British army that was one of the guys who had to drop during the week. So, yeah, yeah a, a reasonable representation of bolt action, right? You get a lot of, a lot of Russian, US, German, and British usually. Uh, I feel like the British players are bailed out for Italians, Hungarians, and Australians mm-hmm. to an extent. But I mean, if you if you sort of group them into minor powers, you know, we've got what three versus for Axis and a bunch of allies. So it's not too bad a mix. We also had Tony possibly showing up with Italians and Byron showing up with Canadians. So there were other minor powers that were going to make appearances as well. But that said, I I was pretty happy with the spread that we had of armies, but not just the nationalities. Walking from table to table, there were armies that had distinct feelings. They were sort of general all-comers armies. There were shooting armies. There were armies that were very aggressive and then tried to get into people's faces with a lot of SMGs for short-range firepower and assaulting. It just, it felt, it felt like a good mix of armies and the players seemed to be having a real good time doing it too. Pedro, you played all five games. Now, I don't necessarily think you're going to want to go game to game. You could if you want. Were any big takeaways from your games um, over the course of the weekend? Um, I think uh, probably 
coming back to what Lee was saying about the tables, I, I really enjoyed the mix, um, both the, the missions and the tables. Um, and I enjoy the tactical um, challenges that different tables present, you know, tied in with those missions. I like uh, having a think about, okay, uh, how do I move so that I remain in cover or how do I move so that I, um, you know, avoid getting shot up um, because my, um, my list is all on foot apart from uh, one tiny, tiny tank. Um, um, and, um, so you know i i don't uh have transports um I, i'm doing it the old-fashioned way um so i you know it takes me a little bit of time to get up the table and i like to try to um, not get chewed up on the way um so yeah i enjoyed um, the mix i had um you know some interesting things go right um i had some things go horribly wrong on on, on one particular um game uh but that was dice um you know and bolt, bolt action happens as you say um so um yeah i no, i really quite enjoyed myself um and and i played i guess a you know a mix of players um some more experienced some less experienced some people coming back uh to play after a long break um and, and they all were challenging in their own ways you know they all made me think in different ways you may be the only person I have ever heard refer to a KV-2, the heaviest tank in the event by a country mile, as a little tiny tank. What is it that you call it? The, the Kelvinator? Because the top yep. looks like a refrigerator? Yep. yep. No, that's a deliberate joke. Uh, I, I know it's ridiculous, and I, uh, I have a bit of a soft spot for ridiculous-looking tanks and vehicles. I don't know what drew me to Soviets first, whether it was the thought of fielding a KV-2 or, or just... Uh, fielding something a little bit different um but uh i've had this tank part painted for many 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 months and uh putting it into the jump to action list was actually the you know what really pushed me to finish it and i had and, and I, I guess i hesitated a little bit you know 300 points in what was then a 954 point list or 911 um was a big investment but I thought I really wanted to play with this to see what it did and, and probably expecting to, um, you know, get chewed up by um, enemy AT, uh, which it actually did uh, at Jump to Action. It, I think it um, it got killed at least twice over the weekend. It survived um, at Operation Bear all the way through, where I expected it probably to be, you know, in even more dire straits. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a funny, it's a funny vehicle. Um, it's big. There's no hiding it. Um, so it can be a bit of a magnet. Um, it also has quite a powerful gun on it, so it can be very handy for dealing with a lot of the veteran squads that you're starting to see creep up around the table. Mm -hmm. um, but it, but it's not it's not a one you know, it's not a one trick pony, and it's not a you know a easy to play with necessarily. It's not a push button type job. You can't go on the first dice of the turn uh, because it's got slow traverse. So you've always got to be able to move something else or activate something else first and people hide from it. So you, you know, you do need to be a little bit clever about what you do with it and how you do it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with it. I'll, I probably won't use it again at the next event. If I do use the Russians just for a change. You were the only heavy tank at the event that I can think of. And there were two heavy howitzers, and you were one of them. Tristan had one, 
in a martyr, which is an open top vehicle. And we'll talk about his list in a minute. You used that very creatively. And I mentioned this on a prior episode, but I should mention it again. Now you use that to great effect to jump to action. When our good friend, Ben Llewellyn hit his, a couple of his squads behind a building at you, at which point you pointed your big gun at it and went and turned that big building or that building into rubble. And then the rest of your army could shoot Ben's guys. Well done. That, that was inspired madness at the time. Uh, that was the last round of the of the of the weekend, and uh, I I did chuckle a lot um, when I actually managed to pull it off because it was such a long shot, and I was at a, a tactical um, you know disadvantage. Ben was rushing me pretty well, uh, and he had a, a flamer team hiding behind that that shed, and I thought, what do I, how do I deal with this? You know, I can't go forward. Um, he'll get me. Um, how do I uh, neutralize this threat? And deleting that building was was the way to do it. Um, I did not have that opportunity or that moment um, at Operation Bear. Um, I did um, give several uh, infantry squads some really big headaches, but I probably didn't have the right situation like that to um, to either target a squad in a building or target a building and just get rid of it. Um, yeah, it just didn't work out again, but it's a a valid tactic and I I will not forget that one. Now, I should also mention you can get around slow traverse and slow load on the IS-2 using a very dodgy tactic. I believe we may have gotten this from our buddy Al. Uh, If you snap to action, that is technically the first dice and then you can then point and pull the trigger with the I tank. I must say, so I did, not, I did not think about that. Um, and, and that's maybe one that I'll snatch. I might feel like um, I might need a shower after I do that, feel a little bit dirty from using it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's yeah, maybe one to keep in mind. <laughs> well, Lee, you were the man with the lists. I was the list checker and I did the resubmissions if something didn't suit for Jump to Action. And you thankfully took that on because I was feverishly painting terrain and doing other things to get ready for Operation Bear. Now, there were some interesting trends in lists. There were there was one list that was very heavily recce focused, and we'll talk about that in a minute. As I said, there were two lists with heavy howitzer tanks. But I think the thing that I saw walking around the table more than anything else were lots of veteran squads and there were lots of Panzer IVs. Uh, do you want to talk to us about some of the things you saw at the event? Yeah, I think in general, and I've spoken about this before, you know, bolt action, you're generally three to four squads with rifles, maybe some SMGs, you know, depending on LMGs, depending on the squad type and that sort of thing is the core of most armies, right? It's a, it's a platoon-based game. Um, we saw... A reasonable variety of lists. I, I think you're right in the veteran side, and I think that flowed through in seeing more pioneer squads. So there's a lot of people packing pioneer squads with the flamethrowers mm-hmm. included, uh, more than sort of normal. Uh, and then various veteran squads, um, some that allow extra LMGs, some that have a lot of SMGs, uh, some that uh, certainly on the German side, the Panzerfausts. Uh, so it was sort of a bit more of a slant that way. But then there was list full of irregulars, you know, sort of stuff as well. So it wasn't a complete slant. Uh, Vehicle-wise, there was actually quite a lot of variety, which I was quite happy with. Um, and I think that's because we had a variety of nations. So certainly 
you know, you bring Italy, the Hungarians, and the Australians, you're going to get different vehicles. That's mm-hmm. that's just the way it works. Whereas if you run Russians and British, you're probably going to get a lot of Shermans coming through as it is. And then Germans, the Panzer IV is pretty ubiquitous. Uh, I think there was, a, yeah, there was only a couple of them overall. But yeah, I, I think it was good. I saw a mix, quite a few people not taking snipers, which was... Mm-hmm. Personally, I was happy with because I hate the buggers. Uh, and then, yeah, didn't see, didn't I can't remember seeing any medics or anything. Like most people, was just a, a normal LT. People weren't taking higher officers generally. Uh, the transports, one or two trucks in probably half the lists. There's quite a lot without transport. Gordon took some uh, LVT buffaloes for transport. Mm-hmm. That pretty was great to junkie. see the old LVTs, right? Yeah, they're pretty cool. And yeah, I think there was probably a reasonable amount of variety. People were trying different stuff, but oh, the old medium mortar. Yeah, there was plenty of those hanging around. Mm-hmm. We had one list with two, did the double platoon thing. There was quite a few people taking. Uh, I suppose template style weapons as well. I think it was a bit more of a focus, a lot more howitzers where we might have seen an AT gun in the past. Uh, and, you know, pretty much everybody packing a medium mortar, which I think is a great model. I take it all the time as well. So can't really complain. Um, so, yeah, I think it was, it was pretty good variety overall, given the size of the group of people playing. That's right. And there was, even within the Soviet list, I mean, Pedro had the KV-2. I know our friend Doug took the uh, T-28. Um, we had a T-34. Uh, I believe it was a T-34-85 being played by yep. Django. So there was a nice variety of vehicles happening between the lists as well. I know, for example, uh, John was running a Stewart in his American list. And when you were playing, you were playing with a the oddball Sherman in yours. Yep. I got to play, and I will talk about my game in here for a second. I mentioned a second ago that I played the list that had two mortars. It had two mortars and a 25-pounder. It was a British army. It was played by our good buddy Dave. He and I um, actually counted it as a league game. So, yay, I got to play my league game, um, which I'm a little behind on because of reports. But I got to bring my British uh, Indian Army that I recently reacquired from our good friend Viv at Knights of Dice. Thank you, Viv. I will talk more about that army later. But I did bring a list that had two Indian carriers with dual LMGs, a Stewart, not the gunboat Stewart, just the standard one whole machine gun, one pintle mount, and the light AT gun Stewart. Uh, I believe it was the M3A1, uh, and I took an M3 Lee. So I took two platoons with the vehicles, and we played in the claustrophobic city board uh, because I didn't want anyone to say, you know, oh, you didn't actually play on that um, because I know it wasn't everyone's favorite table to play on. And I thought the table made that game. It was super tight and tense, and I was sweating bullets. Uh, Dave and I had a wonderful game and as we were going through, it was a constant, Ooh, are you going to come around that corner? Which table edge are you coming in on? How is that going to work as far as outflankers? And it was 
And I played a lot of good bolt action recently. I played our buddy Gorshin in from Western Australia. And um, John, I played a couple weeks ago. And uh, man, I played a ton of good bolt action. But this game with Dave may have been the closest. It made me think more tactically, I think, than almost any other game, possibly with the exception of Gorchin, which really just turned into a tie. But it was a great game. And just to think that Dave hadn't played in a bolt action event or I think any game event ever before jump to action and now he's a proper monster on the table is just awesome to see um and when i mean a monster i mean he's he's the nicest guy you have the best time but uh, i think he's been playing albert too long if you make a mistake when you're playing him he's gonna punish you (laughs) and i made some mistakes and he punished me and it was a great game lee what was your game because you played against our old 40k buddy um, the guy who was famous on the Wargamer AU forums back in the day, our good buddy, Doug Veal. How was your game? Yeah, it was good. Uh, we were playing We were playing the last mission. It wasn't objective capture, was it? It was just punch each other in the face, I think. Yeah. Sectors. Yeah. Sectors. That's right. Yeah. Had to get in the quarters. Um, so, yeah, it, it went pretty well. Doug, Doug hasn't played a huge amount of games. He's, he's new to bolt action. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, for those watching this on the YouTubes, uh, Brad's just put up a photo of my Sherman with uh, five pins next to it. Uh, it actually ended up with more than that <laughs> over the game. Uh, it took a bit of anti-tank fire early on. I got two pins, and then I failed a rally check by rolling an 11, and so pulled back, and I just kept getting pinned and failing rally checks every turn. It was awesome. And then uh, then it blew up. So it was good times, good times. But it, it soaked up a lot of fire. Uh, we were playing on one of the winter tables. Uh, so we had a sort of mix of terrain. There was a big hill, uh, a bunch of forests. And then we had some buildings and um, a lot of hardcover fences as well. Mm-hmm. So I basically sort of swarmed up the, the right side of the table with my guys and used the cover. And then Doug used uh, the roads for bringing his vehicles on from reserve. I basically sat there with my two bazookas trying to uh, destroy his vehicles, which I was uh, not very successful at, unfortunately. Uh, And he jumped out a squad of SMG-armed guys, and I managed to basically sacrifice one of my units by moving up and point-blank firing to try and thin them out and he failed his command check and ran away so uh yeah that was that was good times but uh yeah look russian hordes are pretty good he just had lots of mans um basically set up a line and brought them on i think after he's got a few more games under his belt he'd probably play that game a little differently uh, yeah. my left flank i i ran a bunch of guys up you can sort of see me in the background of that photo towards the hill i had two squads in my lt basically just trying to swarm across the table to get to his uh, sniper that was on the hill and he had a mortar behind it. And I thought I'll get over there, get a couple of easy dice off him. Um, but he brought some squads in for support. His uh, free, <laughs> free rifleman unit sat on there and just took me ages to just clear that hill. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it took a bit of casualties in the, in the interim. But yeah, no, it was a good game. I think just a bit swingy back and forth and, um, in the end, I just got up there on dice and the last couple of turns, he just sort of collapsed. The first, I find sometimes you have games where, you know, you take two or three guys out of a squad and you're just chipping away at each other the whole game. No one's actually removing dice. Like, I think we're at turn, end of turn three, and it was like 
two dice or uh, two dice each or three and two or something that have been taken out at that point for all that sort of time and firepower. Uh, and then it sort of tumbled a bit after that once sort of squad's got a bit more thinned down and dropped off. But yeah, it was a real struggle dealing with his tank as well, just because the armor on the front, uh, trying to hit it and get rid of it. Took, I don't think I even got rid of it by the end of the game. It just sat there and just spammed out three pins a turn because um, I had so many targets on that side of the table. So yeah, it was good. It's funny how people often, when I'm playing my T28s in my thin list, which are the the ones that are pin magnets because they are unreliable, so they take double pins. Sorry, let me rephrase that. When they take a pin, they get an additional pin, not proper double pins. That's slightly different. That's a misconception that people often have. But because it's such a big tank, people always forget that it's like, I think it's armor seven. Uh, you just go, it looks more impressive than it is. Uh, but it is uh, festooned with machine guns, so you can just uh, run people over with that. But Pedro, you played some of the best players, as in the highest ranking players at the event. I know that you played Albert, who came second overall and was best minor powers. No. No, you I did played, not play Albert. I played you played Tristan. Tristan. You played the other yeah. army, who came first and got best axes having played albert recently though in other events um did you have any big takeaways from some of your games what was your game with tristan like because it looked like a good game but also a game where you guys were concentrating and there were some things happening over the course of the game that looked i mean again you looked like you were having fun but it also looked like there was some serious bolts action being played. Oh yeah, yeah. It was serious business and and, and oh, yeah. um I um I I did sorry to to recap, I had played um Doug um in my first game, which was the 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 opponent that Lee was just talking about earlier. Uh and it was not quite a mirror image, but very similar Soviet list. Uh, and we actually drew and probably again had a very similar experience where we just seem to chip at each other, you know, take a dice, lose a dice. Um, so it was a fairly even game. I um, had won my next two games. So by um, Saturday night, I knew that I was going to be at the pointy end on um, Sunday morning. And, and sure enough, it was, um, you know, Tristan face up, first up uh, on that table right there, the, um, the jungle table that I had actually laid out. Um, and it's one of my favourites. And I... Um, I tweaked it a bit from jump to action. I wanted to make it maybe even a little bit trickier, um, and um, and probably um, I wouldn't say I did myself a, a disservice, but I, um, I you know I, I set us both a good challenge. Um, it was I think the jump to action round. So again, it was a, a it quarter was. deployment with five objectives and. Um, things got very very cagey very quickly um mm -hmm. we, i think we've got a, a fair amount of respect for each other these days it's always a tough match um and um yeah it was it was the game where my dice just um you know we talk about dice rolling hot to quote um some you know a, a legend of this podcast and um and yeah no my dice just did not um i i had a few moments where okay i think i'm tactically in a good position i've got to make this shot and it just 
did not happen time and again. Um, so it was a close game in the end. Um, I held uh, the centre and one of my objectives um, and Tristan held two of his and then one of mine. So I think it was a, uh, what's that, a three to five or something um, scoreline um, or a four to five. Um it was good. Um, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But yes, it, it was one of those games where you really had to concentrate. Um, and and with you know two big heavy howitzers on the table, um, um, the the KV two did have uh, two Panzerfaust bounce off the front of it, um, and um, you know it kind of lived. But it was probably the the scariest moment it had the whole weekend. Um, it, you know, it worked well, and um, it's kind of you know another funny mem- memory from that game was uh, in an earlier game I had um, shot smoke out of my heavy mortar, um, which is something I do occasionally when I don't have a viable target, um, and I had dropped smoke and it actually had landed on target um, to um, cover an objective uh, in my second game. And, and essentially sort of neutralize um, some of the enemy units that were guarding that objective. So I was able to advance under the cover of smoke. Uh, and because the smoke lingered, um, you know, I was able to get a couple of squads up. Um, now, I kind of had had a bit of a discussion with Tristan about that uh, prior to the game. Uh, and he wasn't really aware of that, um, you know, that option hadn't really played with smoke before. And he thought, oh, I might try to do that to you. And of course he did. and. Um, from his heavy house and the smoke landed and stuck in front of my AT gun. So, um, you know, that was a, a nice uh, little bit of irony there, and I did get a good chuckle out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, that was just one of the many events in that game. Oh, and there's a Calvinator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting, right? Tristan's a very experienced bolt-action player, and, you know, just to to suddenly try something new in the game and to have it work for him, I'm sure he'll be keeping that in his uh, quiver of arrows for future oh, games. Yeah, yeah, uh, because, yeah, yeah I, I think I think that made a big difference in your game. I, well, it, it kind of maybe made a little bit of a difference in that center section for a little bit of time. It uh, it meant that I couldn't uh, probably shoot up his truck uh, that was coming around the corner one way or the other. Um, but, you know, I always... Um, try to to learn something from those challenging games, um, and you know um, I think it probably goes a little bit both ways. Um, Tristan is very fond of reminding me that I um, made a mess of his Hellcat with an AT- ATR once, and uh, he's never forgotten it. Um, so um, yeah, it's um, it was good times. It was a tough game, uh, but it was it's a sort of game that, you know, you lose, but you go, okay, well, you know, I don't mind that. I don't think I made um, many tactical mistakes. It was just the way the game went. Um, I'm not really kicking myself. Um, it was going to be a tough one always. So that was good. Lee, we had a pretty exciting, I mean, so at, at the event, we had six prizes and we'll talk about those later, but House of War, came to the table with some pretty exciting prizes to the point where they donated something that we weren't expecting and really made for 
a, a pretty special door prize for one of our players. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, we had um, an offer from them to raffle off a 3D printer, resin one, um, which was really great. So we, at the end of the end of the event, we put everyone's literally put everybody's name into a hat and uh, drew out a name, and that was Quinn. Um, and I did say at the beginning before we did the draw, if, you, if you're not interested in res, in uh, 3D printing, then let us know and we'll uh, keep drawing until we hit somebody who does want mm-hmm. one. Um, but Quinn was pretty quick to jump up and grab the big box. Uh, so, yeah, it was really good. Uh, they're, they're pretty good at supporting events at their store. Uh, we sort of spend a bit of money, I suppose, our, our entry fee or, or table usage fee. Uh, effectively, we, we bought a stack of gift vouchers as part of our prize pool for, for the players. And yeah, so it was good. It was an extra little thing we weren't expecting on the day. It was really great. Yeah. Hopefully Quinn prints out some cool stuff for Bolt Action. Exactly, right? Well, we were giving out, I don't think, having run a lot of events, and Lee, you and I have run a lot of things together and separately, between the two of us, I can't think of another event where more foobars were rolled with that many players over the course of a weekend. We actually took what I thought would be enough foobar prizes for both days, the first day, and we ran out mid game three. Um, I then brought more prizes and gave them to the people who didn't get them on the, uh, at the end of the first day. And then on the second day we ran out again. It was astonishing how many foobars one table had five and those guys just went, we'll just take the one prize. Thank you. We understand that this is statistically crazy, but I mean, Lee, you're you're a numbers man. That's pretty wild, right? Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. And we also on the second day introduced the um, overly successful double ones. If you're doing yes. a command check, and uh, we had a number of those go off as well on the day. Um, we did. It's really cool. Uh, <laughs> but I think the first one, someone went, "Hey, I got one." We're like, "Okay, cool. Uh, we better read up on the rules. What they do, you know?" It's, a, <laughs> it's effectively it's it's a bonus rally to get an extra d6 exactly. pins removed. Uh, the extraordinary bravery, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that was good. I mean, and those prizes all came from uh, I think Warlord and War and Peace. It was a mix they of um, prom- promotional models. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them were the army book models that you get if you buy your books directly from Warlord. Uh, we also had the uh, I think it's Major Koenig, the mm-hmm. German sniper model, which was a Warlord event es- exclusive. Um, mm-hmm. so they usually use that at their major events as a, as a giveaway prize. Um, and they're in resin, um, interestingly enough, whereas okay. everything else is in metal. Yeah. Uh, so we had a number of those to give away as well, which I hadn't actually seen them uh, in the flesh. They looked pretty sweet. So yeah, we, we've effectively had a little pool of, of, uh, extra models there. And whenever somebody got one, I'd rush over with the, with the little pile and say, take your pick. Obviously exactly. as we got through the day, there was less choice, but, um, you know, people certainly, uh, I think we're pretty happy to get something every time they foobard because it's it's a bad feeling to begin with. Mm-hmm. It is never a good feeling to get foobard. Uh, well, let's talk about the awards. So we had six technical trophies that were the official Warlord game trophies from Warlord of the shell going through the armor plate. Um, we painted those up. We mounted them on proper trophy bottoms. And we had um, in, we had metal plates with the name of the award and the date and the name of the event laser etched and um, 
attach those to the bottom of the trophies as well. So they were proper trophies. Um, so we had six of those. We had our best access player who was first overall, which was Tristan. He did very well over the course of the event. And it should be mentioned that he only dropped one tournament point at jump to action. So he's on a, a bit of a roll as far as uh, winning events in Melbourne at the moment. We had our best minor power player who was Albert. Um, he took his Italian list and we'll be talking about Tristan Albert and Pedro's list in a minute. He came second and then third uh, with our best allied player was Pedro. Hi, Pedro. Then we also had our best sports. Now, if you are watching this video on YouTube and you saw the cute graphic at the beginning with the animation, with the cast dice uh, antenna popping up and the, the radio signals coming off of it, that was actually animated by Quinn many years ago. And I can't thank him enough for that. He came out for his first bolt action event at Jump to Action. He had a great time. He came back for Operation Bear and he was expecting, you know, just to maybe pick something up from the prize table, have a good time and, you know, maybe just go home at the end. I've, I don't think I've ever seen anyone more happy to, I mean, not only did he win the, the 3D printing device, the resin 3D printer, he also won best sports and got a set of Warlords gold order dice of the 14 players we had nine people get votes for best sports. I think that speaks volumes about the players at the event, but Quinn got the most votes for best sports. And I think that also reflected the games. Whenever I walked by his tables, he was laughing, having a good time with his opponents, even when things weren't going his way or his opponent's way. Um, you know, it was, he always seemed to be having a, a bit of a casual game and a fun one, which is important. Um, but I, again, I couldn't be happier that so many people got votes for best sports because it just meant that a lot of people had a lot of good games with a lot of other people. Um, and it just, it, it was nice that there wasn't one standout nice person and everyone else wasn't. It was clear that at this event, everyone was having a good time. And that's, as a TO, that's what's most important to me. Uh, we also had best theme. Now, best theme has also been called Hanno Swag in the past um, at some of our events. Uh, it was won at Easter by the one and only Michael Kaler. Uh, he then came on to the Warlord podcast to talk to me about his Alpha Lungs list, the German re uh, recon platoon. Uh, he then wanted to do another properly themed list after his success using that in the last big event. And keeping in mind, he's flying in from another state for this. Um, so he actually brought a new dual Stug-themed German list. Um, and again, one best theme with a very different German list that he basically, it was basically another army from scratch compared to what he'd taken to Easter. But again, one best theme handily and did quite well with the army as well. As always, our hats go off to him because he always spends time to do the research, to come up with a cool force, but then to practice with it to make sure that, you know, he knows what he's doing with it on the table. You know, always good to see. Um, and then Best Painted went to Tristan with his deck. I know he was really looking forward to um, hopefully winning a painting award for that. Um, I know that in the last couple events, he had, he had been the bridesmaid in some cases. And so that is a very good looking army. And it was nice that that was acknowledged and he got the best painting award for that. So 
We would like to take a second to thank our sponsors. And I will keep this brief because I know that I've gotten feedback in the past that we often go on with a, a lot of sponsors and it can be dry to listen to. However, it's really important that we sponsor, we mentioned these sponsors in particular because there were so few. War and Peace Games are the voice of bolt action in Australia. The official Warlord prize support system for events in Australia runs through them. But even before that was the case, they have always been incredibly t- uh, generous with their time, with the prizes they donate, and just with with everything they do to help tournament organizers to make the best gaming experience for the players at those tournament organizers' events possible. Ian and Sean, and in the past, John, have always gone out of their way uh, in every possible way to make sure that you know Australia Bolt Action is supported and grows. And we can't thank them enough for their support over the years, particularly, again, with this event. It being a Warlord-sponsored event, but through them, they also provided additional prizes as well from their own coffers. As always, their generosity was unbelievable. House of War, as Lee mentioned, we did pay a fee to use their venue, but all of that money was recouped into gift vouchers that we were able to then give as additional prizes, and they donated that 3D resin 3D printer, which was incredibly generous, and we weren't expecting, and they surprised, surprised us with on the day. But they could have very well just not done it because they hadn't told us about it in advance, and they were expecting us to have a larger turnout, and they still donated it anyway. And I think that just speaks volumes about their commitment to making sure that the events that are held at their venue are the best that they can be and that people get a nice prize. Obviously, Warlord Games provided a ton of surprise uh, prizes for this event, both officially through uh, War and Peace Games. They actually sent um, a whole mess of FUBAR prizes directly to me as part of my comp um, for doing the Warlord podcast. Um, they found out that I was trying to get additional prizes for Operation Bear. And so they just threw in a bunch of extra things. Some of the major Koenigs uh, came from there. And a bunch of those, um, the campaign book specific models came directly from them that that were donated by Warlord to us. So again, thank you, Warlord. And a lot of the prizes from Bear came from, as I said, my comp from doing the Warlord Games podcast. Uh, if you have not checked out the Warlord Games podcast, it is also a proud sponsor of local Bolt Action. Please listen. Also on this network. But moving on. Lee, you were the TO in charge of listing. Can you talk to us about Tristan's list? Now, I know that there he did submit a few separate lists over the prep for this event. Um, I know that he had tried to paint up a couple of things and he wasn't able to in advance. So that caused a few lists to be resubbed. And I know that he did need to get a list. Um, maybe the first list he turned in was a little harder than the event and he was resubbed in that way too. But his final list, I think, is is really interesting. And I think we should talk about that here. Um, can you run us through his list, please? Yeah, so it's... Uh... German uh, reinforced list. Um, it's a bit of a mixed bag in that he's got Bolshevik Jaeger and just sort of here veteran squads and the Pioneer squad. As I mentioned but earlier, there's a number of people took Pioneer squads in various forms, uh, generally to get their flamethrower in there. We did 
um, say, one flamethrower per army. So either vehicle or man-packed. Most people took a man-packed one for those that mm. did. Um, yeah, I mean, you're looking at a, a pretty standard, you know, German veteran loadout of units, you know, sort of generally six men. Personally, I like running veterans at the seven, eight man sort mm-hmm. of size, a bit bigger. Um, Tristan's gone a bit smaller. You know, Germans chucking a couple of submachine guns, chucking yeah. a couple of Panzer Fausts. So I don't think there's anything sort of revolutionary there. The here squads get the light machine guns. Again, six man. So nothing really big. Uh, medium mortar, sniper team, uh, ATR rifle. Uh, wasn't mm-hmm. actually expecting the anti tank rifle in there. That was interesting. Uh, he ran a triple two light armored car, uh, which sort of has a very light AT. I think the reason for taking armored cars is generally to deal with other light vehicles, so transports, open top stuff, uh, but also the penetration. You can put some pins onto a, a light tank or a medium mm-hmm. tank, you know, is possible as well. So it's it's not around destroying stuff; it's around putting out pins and just causing trouble. The auto cannon that on the triple two is also great for if you have a veteran squad that you need to get rid of, um, the, because the triple two has got the coax MMG and light auto cannon. You can either use the auto cannon to throw out a couple of small templates and melt some veterans because that does have an armor penetration value. Even if it's a minor one, it, it does make veterans more susceptible. And uh, if you need to, it does have that machine gun that allows you to put pins on things, which is handy. Again, you can pick one or the other, but it is a nice toolbox vehicle in a DAC list. So it's cool. It certainly is. Uh, the interesting vehicle choice here was the Marta 1, uh, which has the heavy howitzer on it. It's got no MMGs or anything like that. It's literally just a forward-facing heavy howitzer. Uh, it's open-topped as well, so it is susceptible to rifle fire, taking pins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has a very long range, so you can uh, direct fire 72 inches. The indirect, though, it's quite short. Uh, it's quite a long, short range in that it's 36 inches. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you look at medium mortars, they're running at 12 inches. So if you can get stuff close enough, it's the ranged in factor disappears. Uh, it's quite easy to get under that. So more direct shots are, are going to be required, which you know generally going to be hitting given the range you know it's probably a, a four plus to hit most times anyway without cover involved yeah uh and then a couple of trucks so you know he was running six man units trucks carry 12 we can chuck two units in each truck so mm-hmm. most of his force was able to be transported if you wanted uh and yeah look pretty much apart from the the troop units being veteran everything else was regular which, which is okay. Pet peeve is inexperienced LTs with veteran forces. Yeah. Uh, which wasn't there in this case. And those are the machine gun trucks as well. So in case people mm. were wondering, he did have the machine guns in there to lay down the shots. Uh, Pedro, you faced this list. Any big takeaways? Did you think this was a fairly standard sort of later war German list? Even though it was dressed as a DAC list, the the use of Panzerfaust um, did kind of point it more in a late war direction. Yeah, true. Um, I, look, I, I think it's probably the type of list that I've um, more or less expect to see at, at the pointy end of the table. Um, you know, veteran squads seem to be very much the flavor of the day. Um, 
and and the mobility that a couple of trucks give you to um, you know really be able to um, you know go on flanking maneuvers or um, or really get um, onto objectives or, or you know into the sides or rear of your enemy and, and really give them trouble. Um, so yeah, to me, I mean, I um, I find this sort of list challenging um, to, to deal with uh, in a good way. You know, that really does make you think. Um, I I think I had reasonable tools to deal with it. Uh, again, if only my, uh, my dice rolling was a little bit hotter mm -hmm. um, at the right times. Um, I think, um, yeah, I you know, in in the right hands, um, this is a deadly list, uh, but not you know, not in a bad way, not in a way that makes you think that anything is particularly broken. It's just, um, yeah, it's just well well built, um, mm -hmm. and, and you know, at the same time, um, you know, um, you need to know what you're doing with it uh, because you. I had, um, I think, 15 dice to his 13, um, and I had bigger squads, uh, but mine's mostly a regular force. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think it was balanced. Um, the table was very tight, um, mm -hmm. and with, with lots of cover, intervening cover. Um, and again, you know, we, we both tried to play around with that and did reasonably well. The more I look at this list, the more it looks like the deck list I used to run competitively at the end of first. I think I came second at Moab with a list that looked very similar to this. Uh, my list was three units of six veterans with three SMGs in Horch field cars instead of trucks. So they didn't have the machine guns, but they had much smaller capacity, hence the six-man squads. Um, and then I ran two eight-man regular squads with LMGs which are the same price as Tristan's six-man LMG squads. I had the didn't have a pioneer squad, and I didn't have the mortar, but I had the medium. I didn't have the sniper. I had the medium mortar. I had the ATR. I had a light AT gun and a triple two, and I also ran the martyr one with the heavy howitzer. And occasionally, I would dump out the triple two for the machine gun bike uh and i i don't remember what else was in there that made up the points when i didn't take the triple two but that was a very effective list and this is very similar to that so yeah this is a great list i didn't have panzerfausts um but i had the light at gun so yeah that's really interesting it's a great list i'm actually recreating that list right now i actually got the horches in the mail the other day so i uh i may have to Try mine against this um, and see what it looks like. But uh, let's move on to something that is very different uh, and something that you really don't see very often, which is an Italian recce list um, that is, uh, is it the, I, I'm going to get my pronunciation here wrong, Pedro. The Carabinieri? Carabinieri. Car Carabinieri. So this is Albert's list. And it was a veteran second lieutenant with a friend. We had two squads of Alpini, uh, eight men each, uh, each with a light machine gun. We had the Calbinari squad, which are on motorcycles. And it, they are, again, veteran. There's 
eight of them and they have pistols as well. Um, plus they have the traffic direction rule. So they're police so, and they get back into the fight rule, which gives this list some very different, a very different feeling because they benefit you outflanking and moving around, but they cause your opponent to not be as advantaged. A paratrooper squad with submachine guns and our DT sabotage squad with that demolition charge from the soft underbelly book. Again, a veteran squad with a bunch of SMGs, a veteran sniper, a regular anti-tank rifle, and then one of my favorite vehicles in the game that you never see, the Auto Blinda 41, which is an armored car for 105 points regular. And it's got a turret mounted light auto cannon. It's got a coax MMG and it's got a rear mounted hull MMG. But because it's dual directional, every time I've seen this being played, people just drive it around backwards so you can shoot the gun. It does make your nose a little bit more susceptible to penetration, but I don't think Albert cared because he was zipping around and uh, causing people to make mistakes with it. He also had the Lancia 3RO truck, but the one that has the light auto cannon in the back. So yeah, a cool list. And I actually ran two to three of those in my auto Sahariana army. So I love this list. It does all sorts of wacky stuff. But the fact that Albert's zipping around on motorbikes and has recce vehicles and auto cannons, I, I think he struggled a little bit at jump to action with this list. He was trying to, you know, trying things out, experimenting. But by the time he got to Operation Bear, he was on fire and he was having a good time. Lee, I know that you walked by Albert's games as much as I did. People seem to really enjoy playing against this army it didn't appear to be a frustrating list although i i could imagine that sometimes facing a list that has so many moving parts could be a frustrating experience um but again i think albert is a very good player and this is a list that you know ticked a lot of boxes um and he had a game plan with uh what were your thoughts yeah i i've played against some lrdg lists that are highly mobile and full of recce. And they're really frustrating because you can't do anything because they just move away or they hide or they mm -hmm. um, zip around. And, and some of them, there's some special rules where they can still activate and then still recce, um, mm -hmm. which is not the point of the recce rule in the main rules. Uh, so yeah, look, I, th I think it's a reasonable balance of a list in that there's some, some various units um as sort of troop units and then you've got a bit of a mix of special stuff and then obviously the vehicles are different to what you see in other in most major lists and i think that's the beauty of the minor powers is you get access to these different vehicles um that have different special rules and, and can do different things and that's where i you know it'd be good to see people branch out a little bit more you know some or more of the minor lists Exactly. And it, it is nice. I, I know I've mentioned that there's a bit of recce in this, but there's only two pieces from memory, the motorbike squad and the auto blinda. So it's not like he's zipping around with half of his army being recce, which can be frustrating. But for this, it's only a couple squads. And once those dudes on the bikes got off the bikes, then they weren't wrecking anymore. So Pedro, you are an Italian player, and you are in the episode that I'm about to edit about us talking about Italians. Again, sorry about that. 
Um, what are your thoughts about this list? I mean, this is quite um, a different list from what I play. I, I play a parachute-heavy um, Italian list. Um, it, one of the things I find interesting about this list is I don't think that there's anything heavier than those two auto cannons. Um, right. So, um, you know, that's that's quite a, a different feel. Um, and the other thing is that unlike a lot of the veteran lists that we do see where you've got, you know, strong veteran cores uh, with a lot of SMGs, you know, this is primarily a rifle um, LMG list. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's... it's yeah, quite quite different. Um, you know, he's going to come at you um, in in a very different way than perhaps your traditional. Um, hey, I've got a bunch of SMG dudes in the back of a truck, or um, you know, a, um, a field car, um, and I'm going to come at you with it. Um, I, I, I'm sorry that I didn't get to play this. Uh, in fact, I haven't played um, either of uh, Albert's Italian lists. I have played his, um, I think, Canadian. Um, and and British paratype lists before, um, which which feel probably more traditional than this. Um, so I would have been really interested to watch um, how he combines those different squads with the different special rules, um, you know, to to cause mayhem. And I think there's probably enough um, variety there in what they do to um, you know to to just blindside people or to you know have people not necessarily. Uh, know what to expect um probably reminds me a little bit of um maybe rightly or wrongly of you know playing against partisans where you know that there's going to be some funky stuff coming out of left field before you know it um so yeah um you know i think it's really good that he that he's um you know taking things off in a new direction and doing well with it exactly now i played a variation of this in a league game I believe it only had one of the autocannon trucks, but something I didn't realize until we were mid game is this list does have something very big and scary that it can do, which is leave that demolition charge. Now I deleted that unit. The second I figured that out and I poured all my firepower and pinned it and then killed it eventually before he had the chance to actually drop the demolition charge. Part of me makes me sad because it was cool and he just painted it. And I didn't want to do that to him. And I wanted him to see what a demolition charge was. The other thing was I was petrified of what it did. And I didn't want to get my um, my tank and the squad next to it blown to kingdom come. That is in there. It is a fun list to face. It is different. It is not the same old bolt action list. And it's really exciting to see veteran players like Albert bringing lists that make you think twice. He spent a lot of time you know, thinking about this list and experimenting with uh, different units in games running up to the event. And it showed because, as I said, he came second and he was uh, not too far behind Tristan in this. Um, so, I mean, I think Albert pipped Tristan at the post at Easter by a point and um, Tristan pipped Albert here by a couple of points. So, uh, yeah, I think... I think they are going to be neck and neck at the next event, but let's move on. Uh, We have our best allied list. Uh, I I think the player's name was Pedro and uh, he took a regular Lieutenant with a friend. He had a 
nine man LMG squad NCO had a submachine gun, two of those. So two nine man regular squads with an LMG and an SMG, a, a commissar, just the usual commissar by himself. Uh, we had the, the infantry squad flag. And if I understand it, Pedro, you put the flag in the free squad. Am I yes, getting that right? That's true. Yeah. yeah. But you paid for the flag. We have the SMG, uh, an SMG squad with six guys. Uh, they are regular with SMGs. We also had your free squad. We had a heavy mortar. We had a regular sniper. We had a regular flamethrower team with the rocks rule, which means snipers can't pick it out. Um, we had three anti-tank rifles. We had a light anti-tank gun. And we had the KV-2. Pedro, what were your thoughts when putting this list together? And then we'll come back to Lee. Um, so this was, uh, I guess, a, a tweak um, from Jump to Action. Uh, and I am very much, um, I don't know, a stickler for theme. So I kind of wanted this to feel like a, an early war um, or, um, you know, sort of first year or two of the war type Russian list. Uh, so everything was pretty much regular and everything was uh, armed with equipment that would have been um, you know, right for that period. So I'd actually dropped a couple of Panzerfausts out of this list uh, for that very reason. Um, I, I wanted uh, a reasonably strong infantry corps, um, which sort of was those two LMG squads, um, you know, enough mans to be resilient and put out um, reasonable firepower if they're um, on an objective or, or advancing undercover. Um, the the free squad, you know, with the flag and the commissar, um, to me, has some resilience these days. Uh, if I'm clever enough not to just feed it into the milk grinder and um, and sacrifice it needlessly, so it can be good as a bit of a second wave, or um, you know, to to maybe contest or provide a, a bit of a speed bump if I've got an opponent that's trying to come around the flank to you know threaten a mortar or something like that um the three atrs and the at gun and and there was also an mmg team in there um you know really quite handy to um just put on ambush and um you know really try to bottle up or or make people hesitate about different avenues of approach and that worked um you know pretty well um in most of the games over the weekend where I was able to, um, you know, set them up either um, overlooking roads or, or likely avenues of approach, um, especially if my opponents had trucks or light trucks, just mm -hmm. to give them a bit of something to hesitate about. Um, and, yeah, and then the KV-2, which I was, um, you know, often quite keen to get on the table reasonably early and just start to... Um, you know, challenge people or to, um, you know, try to punish some of those veteran squads that might have been advancing a bit boldly up the table, um, or even if they're in cover, you know, just give them really something to think about. Um, if one of those squads is having to go down um, to half hits, well, you know, they, they might still lose two or three guys, uh, get some extra pins, and then, um, you know, be much less of a problem in the future. So, um you know, I, I think that there's a reasonable mix. Um, it, it's not 
it's not a list that I play, you know, as a static gun line necessarily, um, but I will take advantage of cover um, if I know that I've got a mobile opponent that's going to come to me. Uh, I'll try to get those squads up the table into cover um, and sort of try to dictate some of the terms of the firefight before advancing them as I need to. I think in um, in probably all of the games that we had, I got you know units into my opponent's half of the table. Um, in most of the games, um, you know, maybe all bar one. Um, so you know, I was successful in, in moving around quite a bit, uh, and, and yeah, and making things pretty challenging, even though I don't have the wheels um, as transports. It's interesting. Oftentimes, people say that heavy tanks are just not feasible in bolt action events, and I understand why they say that. They're very point inefficient. Oftentimes, uh, particularly when compared to the lighter armored uh, machine gun gunboats that we see in a lot of early war tanks. But if you're gonna run a heavy tank, and I have had a couple of requests to talk about how to make heavy tanks work in bolt action, uh, and so I think that will be a, a future episode coming soon, kids. I think the Soviets are a list that lend themselves to running a heavy tank list. A, because they have some very nice heavy tanks. For example, you know, the I, um, the SU-152, the, the KV-2, the IS-2, a lot of great big beasts that are expensive point-wise, but because you're mitigating that with a free 12-man squad, it doesn't feel so bad. Now, I was looking at your list thinking, God, you just don't have enough guys. Um, because I like to run all the guys on the table at one time. But you had four big squads or four reasonable squad size squads that you were pushing around the table with a lot of support. And with that heavy tank backing them up, they had the durability. And I was looking at on the day, and you were still having a big chunk of your army on the table at the end of each game. You were hardly struggling for bodies. Um, so... Would you, are you, would you agree with what I'm saying there? Yeah, um, I, I think so. I think that, um, you know, where I was losing dice, I was probably losing um, the small teams. You know, often, um, you know, um, the support weapons were what was being taken out um, at various times. Um, so certainly I tended to use the ATRs and the sniper fairly aggressively. Um, you know, people would go for the MMG and the mortar as well if they could. So in a lot of situations, um, you know, the infantry squads, those those large bodies um, of men were making it through to the end of the game um, and, you know, and, and often, um, you know, quite advanced up the table uh, or, you know, challenging or holding objectives successfully. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think that was... Um, uh, fairly fairly good um, mix I suppose um, and and the ability to you know even though the kv2 is a slow tank and doesn't move very fast it's got the range uh, and it's mm -hmm. got a turret um, so even if all it's going to do is you know room up the board maybe 12 inches or 18 inches um, I was mostly deploying it fairly centrally so then I could swing around and support um, 
some of the units on my flanks, on, you know, on the back of the board if I needed to, if someone was, um, you know, rushing around in the truck. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty pleased with, with how the list ran. Um, the, the other comment that you made, you know, about the, the, the heavy tanks, um, I saw a few people, um, you know, with, with tanks, whether Panzer IVs or others, um, largely use them for the multiple machine guns, you know, to try to go over after infantry squads. I think people sometimes forget that, um, you know, they've got handy little template weapons of their own. And I think that that's something mm -hmm. I learned um, from running that Simaventi 90 in my Italian list, where it's a, you know, a heavy AT gun or a super heavy AT gun um, on a silly chassis. Um, so, you know, it's, it's aimed as a tank killer, but you have got a very long range weapon, which means you can mm -hmm. actually reach out and hit a squad from quite a distance away. Um, most of the time you're not going to be moving and you've got a template weapon that's, um, you know, just going to kill veterans. So, you know, use it. Um, don't just look for the, oh, okay, where's the vehicle that I'm going to kill with this thing? No, no. Um, you know, your AT guns um, can certainly pin or upset um, some tough squads. So I think that that's a good mm -hmm. tactic. 100%. 100%. Lee, anything you want to add to this? Um, what did you think of Pedro's list or the, the KB2 or anything about it? Oh, I think Pedro's covered it all. The person who writes and plays the list is going to talk to it the best. Agreed. Agreed. Well, gentlemen, uh, our time is wrapping up, um, but Operation Bear is done for this year. Um, I know that there's discussion of things happening at Easter next year, and I'm sure we'll talk about that on the show moving forward at some point or another. But Operation Bear 2022 is run and done. And uh, I think we got a lot of good takeaways out of it. Um, I know that Lee and I have talked a little bit about, you know, mission selection and future events and what things look like. And yeah, I, I'm just excited. I, I, I heard mention that a few people might be running events in Melbourne next year. And I know Lee and I are both very excited to possibly play, heaven forbid. But it will be uh, an exciting year for Bolt Action, I believe, 2023. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Lee, any final thoughts? No, I think that's uh, pretty much covered everything. A great weekend, and you know, again, thanks to you guys for you know putting in all the hard work and running it, and thank you for everyone who came out to play. It was, um, you know, a really good, nice vibe. Um, some fun five games and the variety of missions. It was everything you could have hoped for in in a good venue. So, um, no, thank you again to everybody involved. Exactly, and you literally took the words out of my mouth, Pedro. To everyone who came to Operation Bear or who tried to come to Operation Bear, I know that. The people who had to drop out, I hope in recording this episode, I haven't said anything that makes people think that I didn't appreciate that their emergencies were real. Real life happens all the time at events. We know as tournament organizers, the people need to drop out. Um, and in this case, I mean, I would prefer people to not come with COVID than come with COVID. So we really do really appreciate the people who knew that they were sick and then stayed home. Uh, despite the efforts that they undertook to come to the event. So for those of you who made it, thank you very much. For those of you who couldn't make it, we hope to see you next time. And if you are wanting to come to play in a Melbourne event, Melbourne has a wonderful bolt action scene. We have a lot of great players. 
Um, but it's a fun, casual time. People like to have a good time, but you're also going to get a good game of bolt action. You're going to be challenged. Um, you know, there, there's going to be some challenging lists there. There are going to be some, some players who know their stuff and you're going to get a nice variety of players on a nice variety of tables, no matter what event you play in, be it ours or, uh, someone else's. So if you are listening to this and you are in Melbourne or you're near Melbourne, or you can come to Melbourne for a Melbourne event, we highly recommend that you do because we couldn't be happier with bolt action that's being played here. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, as our buddy Casey always says, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages stay cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Gone and that trap.